You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, the second installment in our Handshake miniseries saying farewell to summer, covering the Meatballs films and other summer camp cinematic shenanigans. Featuring Stoner Aliens, Punchy Guidos, Shit Face Grandpas, Lisps, Pinkies, Pee Wee Herman, Campfire Songs, Hot Tubs, Multiple Decapitations, and Madman Mars. Martin. Yes. Billy Wanky, he's a convicted child molester, and he'll work for free. Welcome back to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin, is this the worst batch of movies we've ever done on this show? Well, except for one um, in this episode that uh, I that will but we'll have to duke it out a little bit because I'm not a, a fan of it personally while you were actually reciting lines from it while we were watching it about 10 minutes ago. Yes. Um, but no, I mean one of the main uh, points of this episode, though, is Meatballs 2, right? And it's rough. Um, Real rough. This was your first, first time seeing it. Yes. I, I should state up front so we don't have to keep repeating ourselves over and over with all four installments of this. I haven't seen any of the Meatballs movies. I'm watching them fresh. Yes. Before we record. And, like, this one took me no bullshit three separate viewings to get through. And I was watching it almost in like 20 minute increments. Cause I couldn't take anymore. Yeah. The, I think the way to compare one to two is one, whenever I put it on for five minutes, I watched the whole thing. It's the opposite. Like it just, it pulls me in part two. Like you said, makes you want to kick your TV in. It's, I mean, it, it's egregiously bad. It, there's not, Heinous. there's not one joke that lands. Like one of the notes I put down is it's, it's just a barrage of, offensive jokes but also just jokes that don't elicit any laughter from me it's kind of like watching a comedian bomb in your own living room yeah absolutely and it feels and it feels like you know okay yes it's from a different time it's almost 40 years old right but i don't think i mean i don't think this was funny back then either because again you think of meatballs meatballs has some really funny sequences while it may not be as pc um as a lot of films today it's funny, and and this film, similar to Caddyshack 2, the question is, where's Bill Murray? I mean, you can feel the absence in, you know, while Caddyshack 2 had the you know, crossover of, like, you had Chevy Chase and other people coming back, this, you feel the absence of that Murray energy well, in a with, really strong way. With Caddyshack 2, you at least have Jackie Gleason, too. So it's not a good movie, but you at least have, like, they're trying a, a comedic <laughs> legend slotting himself into like Rodney Dangerfield's place. We're here. Like 
who the fuck are these people who are in meatballs too? Like this is straight up DTV land before DTV even really kind of existed. Cause this is 1984. So like, we're not, we're at the beginning of like peak video store era. So they're not really like making these movies to go straight to the shelves. They are, but not on this level, if that makes sense. Yeah. This feels like, I don't know the history of this movie, but I would not be surprised if this was another camp script they, that they slapped meatballs onto. I am like 100% certain that's the case. <laughs> like I don't have to look it up. Like this has nothing to fucking do with meatballs at all. They're not even the same camps. Yep. It's it. It has one of the things you talked about with, with like jaws two and other shark movies was that more shark movies copy jaws two a lot of the random ripoffs and things that we're going to talk about in these, you know, the next episodes in this episode as well is they feel more like meatballs too, which is random. Yeah. And, you know, I brought up last episode and I will continue to wet hot American summer. Wet hot American summer is completely sending up this kind of camp movie where yes. it's like five subplots or five plots, not even subplots because there's no, there's no a plot <laughs> in this movie. Maybe, you the, can count. I don't want to step on the main segment for Meatballs too too much, but you could count, I guess, the fight as the main plot. But you're not wrong. You watch it, and you're it's so fragmented and almost like sort of like sketch comedy to a certain yep. degree that it just feels like a bunch of writers or one writer in a room throwing shit at his like whiteboard and being like, well, who cares if a stoned alien shows up? Nobody's really paying attention to the plot of these fucking things. Yep. It doesn't, the first one too feels um, like reality while it's goofy. It still feels like this could happen in the real world. Yeah. This is a cartoon. This is a, hundred percent Looney Tunes like Boomer. The character Boomer will get to is a Looney Tunes character. He even talks like one and it's a completely different world. And we'll get to three and four. They all, this whole, this whole series, they don't, they're none of them are connected. No. They're, they're all feel like you have meatballs one. And then three others that had the meatballs name slapped. Cause we'll get to part four and part four could have been called fucking like, um, a water ski summer. If you wanted, cause it's not about, <laughs> It's about water skiers. Well, it's so. sort of like Mad Magazine, right? Right. Is that it's almost like, what if we sent up like meatballs? What if we did like the goofy, uh, like hand drawn, you know, comedic version of what we think meatballs is, or even like just send like a comedy writer. You're like, you're not allowed to watch meatballs. We're going to have somebody tell you what it is. And then you need to write a movie based on that verbal description. You don't actually get to see Bill Murray or Tripper or any of that shit. Like you're just going to do your own thing in a locked room with like a handful of mushrooms and a pile of cocaine. Go. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's so disjointed. And as we'll get to more specific with the actual segment, it's just a hard watch. I mean, it sucks. Yeah. It asks a lot <laughs> of, of the viewer. And to jump off your point though, uh, the second movie, or I guess technically third in order of the, the episode segments here that we're going to do feels more like a meatballs to rip off than it does a meatballs rip off despite coming out in the same year as meatballs Two, And that's 1984's, oddballs which is almost beat for beat kind of the same movie while also not at all and and even more disjointed even more like 
straight up the first like four minutes of that movie are just vignette, 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 joke, 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 joke that have nothing to do with each other. You know, it almost feels like Family Guy, the whole joke on, on you know, South Park about, no, our jokes actually have a point. Like, we lead to something. Or there's a thematic, you know, impetus. Family Guy is just like with Mad Libs of humor. This feels like that, of just like, all right, vampire joke, dead body joke, what? You yeah. know, E.T., e- e- whatever they're pulling from. Well, I think I said this to you off mic uh, while we were watching Mad Men, but Oddballs to me feels sort of like Zaz if Zaz never elevated beyond Kentucky Fried Movie. Mm -hmm. Like it has a very, like you were saying, like fractured, vignetted feel to it to where it's like, here's a joke. Here's a dream sequence. Here's also a stoner alien. None of it really fits together. Or I guess keeping with the Canadian vibe of the whole series and and this movie, um, SCTV. Like, just something that's kind of like, here's a bunch of comedians throwing something together. But again, in Oddballs, you don't... Like, that's the crazy thing about Meatballs 2 and Oddballs is that outside of John Larroquette in Meatballs 2 and Paul Rubens, the year before Pee-wee's Big Playhouse... And the right? older, the the camp leader, the guy who did uh, Empty Nest. Right. He, he was bigger, a bigger actor, too. Yeah, but you don't really recognize a whole lot. So, like... In the moment, like we recognize Paul Rubens now, you know, but then you're literally a year before he does Pee Wee with Tim Burton. So it's like, he's not a, he's not a star. He's not a recognizable face. He's just a guy taking a job here in a funny He was a comedian at the point. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, John Larroquette hadn't done night court yet. So like, we didn't know who he was and he's in the most egregiously offensive role in meatballs too. Um, So it's just interesting watching these movies and being like, even from a, like the standpoint of like, if you were sitting in the theater at the, in 1984 on opening night, you probably would recognize less people than we do now. And we don't recognize a whole lot of fucking people in this movie. Like oddballs couldn't name one actor from it straight up. Well, it's mean meatballs too is five fucking years after Meatballs 1. Right. Like... And nobody is involved. Yeah, that's the thing. Ivan Reitman's not there. Uh, Bill Murray's not there. None of the writing... Like it, like you said, like it feels like we have the rights to the Meatballs name and this other summer camp script just kind of sitting around collecting dust to bring it back to, you know, how our favorite thing, Slashers, is that it's almost like, how do we make this a Friday the 13th movie? Or how do we make this a Halloween movie? Or how do we make this anything? Like, like we we can only market it or make it if it has a name attached to it. We'll just call it Meatballs and fuck it, put it out into the ether. Yep, and they did. And then the last movie, speaking of slashers, is uh, Madman. From 1980... See, it says 80... Technically 81, but it came out in 83? Or 82. It's it's weird because like IMDb says 81, but I've always seen it. I've always read it as an 82 movie and, other, and books I've read. I so know it was, of, a, it was one of those weird grindhouse drive-in type things of yeah. like they had a finished movie and it might have sat around for like a year before they actually got it in front of audiences. Yeah, because we'll, we'll get to when they were... It was crossed over production time with the burning. So it was pretty early. Yeah. So yeah, but they're um, one of one of the slashers that I really like. 
not one of your favorite movies, but we'll get more into. No, but watching it with you was a lot of fun because the one thing about Mad Men, and again, not to step on like our upcoming segment is that this movie like moves. It almost is devoid of a first act and just gets right into the good shit for, for like a summer camp slasher, which I kind of admire. Like it's almost like the one complaint that a lot of people lodge about the burning, you know, from, from last week is that it takes too long Whoa, yeah. to get to the actual slasher elements. I don't agree because of the, the New York prologue and like the weird prank stuff. Like I actually kind of like, as we've discussed before, like the hangout nature of like that little first into like second act before the murders actually occur. Madman's like, fuck that. Here's a title card setting up who these people are. Here's a campfire song. Here's some murder. And I got to admit, like, I like that, like, you know, no filler kind of attempt or approach to the, to the material. Yeah. And it's also just really fucking weird in a good it's way. Real fucking but weird. it's, I will get to this. One of the things I like about slasher, especially ripoff slashers is a lot of them can't help but have personality. Right. You know, the movie like final exam, which I love, um, like they told the filmmakers, the producers, they said, look, do Halloween beat for beat. Like that was their, those are their marching orders. And the movie still couldn't help but do weird things that I want to talk about. You know, that even ripoffs can't help but have a voice. Right. You know? Well, it's the, not to bring it back to the metaphor I've used now a million times on this podcast and in other writing and stuff too, is that slashers to me are like jazz music. Is that you yeah. have the metronome, which is like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And then it's them playing a bunch of idiosyncratic notes kind of around that. Mm -hmm. But do you want to get to meatballs too first? Love to. God, let's get through it. <laughs> Some work is still on my mind. All right, 1984's Meatballs 2. Martin, take it away because I don't got shit to say. Well, so the first one is Canadian as shit. This one is New York as shit. Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird shit. It's a really, um, it's, a, it's a weird movie because from the beginning, you have Ralph Seymour, uh, Martin from Killer Party, um, also from Welcome Back, Cotter, Um on the bus and are you trying to prove me wrong that nobody recognizes these actors <laughs> right. well, I, I, though i'm just you know um and i ralph seymour i've always whenever he shows up in something i'm usually pretty happy um he's playing like real fucking italian is he flash no so he's 
He's he the other guy. friend. Okay. And then, you know. It's like, oh, when we beat up on those mooks at the thing. And you're like, who the fuck is this guy? It, and they're doing a whole Welcome Back Cotter thing. I mean, it's very much Vin- Vinnie Barbarino. Yeah. You know, it's it's like they're kind of that, that era, kind of late to the party of like. Real late at coo- this point. Cool guy from you know, from the, the streets who gets put in with like the, it's like they've kind of shoved the whole like rag, not rags riches, but kind of like poor New York kid gets sent to like a rich kid camp, even though it's not the rich kid camp. Um, well, it's like a little bit of the weird, it, it's almost like Rocky is mixed with meatballs too. And you're like, these flavors don't go together, man. Well, none of the flavors go together in none this movie. Of them. And I'll ask my same question from before, where's Bill Murray? And you know, I think we both decided this was not written to be a meatball sequel in any way to connect to that world and definitely tonally not at all. But while Bill Murray, we kind of talked about last episode was the, was at the heart of every joke. Like he was giving the joke, but he, most of the humor in that movie comes from his lips or is, is instigated by something he does. Well, he's in almost every single scene and, and he, and he owns it like his tone. Yeah. Like it's the humor of Bill Murray is that movie. This one, they try to, it's, again, more vignette as well, where it's just, like, random joke, random joke, random joke. Um, Looney Tunes-style jokes. I mean, Boomer is this boxer who, um, to give, if there is a narrative here, <laughs> um, it's pulling out a lot of cliches that, from the time of camp movies, that became the cliches that are still used to this day. Of, They're like the building blocks. Yes. It's kind of like the, again, the way we talk about slashers is that you can find certain elements in here that like you have to have like the bus intro. Yep. Both, both this and oddballs start on a bus with kids going to camp. Yep. And so does, you know, even little darlings, you know, right. it's, it's like here are these kids from different walks of life. Usually, you know, that are now going to be in the same bunks in the same camp for a month now so you have hey, you jamoke get out of my seat yeah just get toss the f- us some nerdy kid aside yeah when you got um you know kim richards who's um definitely from a more wealthy uh background and is completely inexperienced sexually so you have you have that plot line of she wants to see a pinky okay uh, yeah thank you you were gonna throw the term in there have you ever heard no. of a wiener being called a pinky that it, sounds like something that like a two-year-old who like accidentally sees their dad naked in the shower goes pinky it's kind of like fucking um monster squad where they call it wolf dork have you been dorked it's like i've never used that in yeah that's not used- that's at least sort of like shane blackie and clever but right here it's just like she wants to see a pinky and it does like to go back to the camp movie building blocks. Like that's sort of the basis for these movies is that somebody who's sexually inexperienced experienced something sexually that they never had before. In this case in hers, it's like almost the most innocuous thing. Like she just wants to see a dick. She doesn't necessarily want to grab the dick, suck the dick or ride the dick. She just wants to see it. She wants to be in proximity to a naked penis. Yeah. I want to be close to the dong. Well, and you have that narrative. And then um, the the guy who is somehow chosen for her is Flash, who is, again, other side of the the track. She seems like a New York Valley girl or L.A. Valley girl. He seems like a New York street kid. And then he is part of also a boxing plot, which is also connected to a... um, a plan by the evil uh, Camp Patton across the lake, 
which is, is little military camp. little kids ROTC military camp led by this this asshole and his very fay uh, lieutenants played by John Larroquette, who is a you're being kind by calling him fay by the way he's a clear gay caricature it's with a scarf and everything it's pretty bad um, and then they want to take over the camp with you know the very thin plotting of oh we're going to buy the lake and all you now have is the land so. You can't use it, and then the camp. And, and look, I I'm not a real estate agent by any means, but I don't know how that sort of purchase op. That doesn't seem realistic to me. Like I don't think you can just buy the lake. Like you gotta buy the rest of it. There's not a la carte la- like lakes lying around everywhere. But not that's to mention, how they treat it. The guy's like, "That's my water now." You're like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Yeah, the keeping of an amphibious creature within city limits. Uh, that's not legal either, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's completely, it's it's you know they need it as some kind of the 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 probably firmest through line in the story is that. So they want to take over the lake and then. Um, Basically, the 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 nice camp owner says, "Hey, you know, basically double or nothing bet. If my boxer beats your boxer in the end of the summer competition, either one one of us get to keep the lake. Yeah, like that's one the, of us forfeits our camp to the other camp. Basically. Yes, and so what, which is interesting because like in a way that's planted earlier than the." you know, decathlon is planted in the original meatballs where it is also somewhat, you know, episodic that movie, but then you have the end act is this, you know, decathlon that really doesn't mean anything besides camp pride. This one is like more written into the story, but also is abandoned for 30 minutes of the movie. The decathlon literally feels like in meatballs, like Ivan Reitman just realized that one day during shooting, he was like, oh shit, this has to have a plot, right? We don't have an ending. Yeah, we don't have anything. Like we just, we kind of just have Bill Murray. But I think to bring it back to the Murray point that you made earlier, is that like meatballs is clearly a star vehicle. Yes. Like they're trying to make something while these ripoffs and even sequels to the franchise itself. Um, they're more writers movies. Like they feel like they come from one guy or a team of like comedy writers, comedy and air quotes in this case, <laughs> uh, just throwing sh- again, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks because they're just churning out jokes. Like you even said to me before we started recording is you were like, there are like 10 movie references in the first scene. Yeah. Of oddballs. Yeah. Yeah. And this this kind of meatballs reminds me a lot of an oddballs too to the like like the movie superhero movie or disaster movie or meet the spartans these like yeah. where not one joke lands it's just these like machine gun references to other things of the time so it's dated as fuck yeah you know well um, like oddballs has the good sense to insert like slide whistles and shit like this just kind of lets the jokes hang out there again, like a shitty comedian and you just watch them die in the air. The only joke I will say that lands super hard is the alien. I'm not saying the whole plot, but the simple fact that somebody obviously high off of their ass was like, all right, look, it's meatballs too, guys. If we put an alien in this, really, who's going to fucking complain? 
I certainly am not because I at least stayed awake for those parts. The alien is such a strange thing to do with this movie. It's a, it could be a movie on its own. Right. I mean, it's the full ET plot of kids are trying to hide an alien. Um, there's no real danger, uh, but it's more at the hijinks of like, Hey, you can't walk through walls because then people know you're an alien and it's kind of cute, but it's a different movie. And then they say goodbye to him later. And I think they shed some tears. Of course, there's just no, no sense of drama in this movie. You're like, all right, so he's gone. All right, cool. And the aliens parents sound like George Costanza's parents for some reason. Well, they're doing kind of a thing. Like, like, like they're like Jewish. Jewish New York affectation. Again, this movie's just trading in stereotypes left and right. I mean, oddballs does one that's even not as egregious as Larry Cat, but the black beret wearing uh, France, Francois French, French like studying kid who's probably gay and black in oddballs is like, Oh wow. You guys just rolled it all up into one man. Speaking of rolling up into one, there's a scene in, the, in meatballs too, where I was like, wow, how can you offend as many people as possible as quickly as possible? And so, uh, the leader of camp Patton walks in John Larroquette, you know, with ascots and, looking again, uh, I'm being nice, very fey and acting very fey. He comes in and he says, is he in my office? He's like, and he's like, yes. He's like, is he wearing feathers? He's like, yes. Accented by some lovely little beads. And he walks in and it's a, a native American chief who owns the lake. And then there's this whole thing, like a kind of a comedy of errors, like thing about how I think. And it's just like, wow, within 30 seconds, you're just really, hitting for the fences here with how many groups can you offend? Um, and it's not, it's just not, you know, there's jokes in the first meatballs that are again, not PC, but you're like, wow, it's pretty funny still like in a different era. These aren't even funny jokes. They're so lazy. Well, and I think that's honestly the byproduct of like the summer camp, like knockoff movie, because I was, I say that I don't have a lot to say about meatballs too, but I actually, have some coherent thoughts about it, I guess, is that I was thinking about little darlings in context of meatballs too. Let me finish. Um, I'm following you in that. Like, I wonder how much of the humor was just folks like again, either a writer or collection of writers being like, well, how do we get people to pay attention? We shock them. We gross them out. Like, I wonder how much of little darlings, like we were commenting last week about how, we couldn't believe little darlings existed and it probably wouldn't be made, you know, these days. And I still agree with that, but I wonder if, again, that was part of the backdoor appeal of little darlings is that it was almost like, you know, those movies about 14 year old boys going to camp and get getting laid. What if we did it about girls, man? And it originally the pitch to the producers or the studio was like, this will be shocking just like these other films and kind of, and then and goofy. he turned it into like something funny and touching and weird and a little like uncomfortable at times. It was a way to like backdoor it through production. I don't know if that's true or not, but it did have me thinking about like how a movie like that could get made. They were promising Meatballs 2, but they deliver Little Darling. Yeah, and Meatballs 2 is not even Meatballs 2. No, exactly. You know, it's not a continuation of... You know, I think of, again, we were talking about star vehicles and how, you know, Beverly Hills Cop or 48 Hours are Eddie Murphy's star vehicles, right? right. You don't do Beverly Hills Cop 2 without Eddie Murphy. They maybe they could have tried 
you know, or done in like a different city. But like, there's just certain things like the genius of meatballs is, is Bill Murray. That's what makes it more than a cheap summer camp movie. That's why I'm really excited for the next two installments, having both Patrick Dempsey and Corey Feldman, both possessing the lightning rod electricity that Bill Murray did in that movie. I'm sure it would, at least there's a lead in those. And they, and, and out of, out of all besides one, Four, you'll see, has probably the most coherent plot. But again, are we counting Patrick Dempsey as a lead in hindsight purely? I mean, it's about, well, we'll get to the plot, but he's like the lead. No, no, I mean more like, would we have known who Patrick Dempsey was in 86 or whenever that movie movie came out? Like, I think he'd been in like a couple things, but he wasn't like some kind of brand. It was before Can't Buy Me Love. It's not like with Murray to where it's like, we have this dude from SNL that is now kind of a household age yeah. name on his own. We're going to make a fucking movie with him. Like, I don't think anybody was saying that about Pat- Patrick Dempsey. Maybe Corey Feldman. Definitely Feldman. So it was late, yeah. late for Feldman. Cause that's post lost boys and all the, the Corey Haim, Corey Feldman kind of rivalry stuff. So it's like, he was, he actually was a brand. Yes. So absolutely. you see that one, Patrick Dempsey, mm, not so much. And that's another movie that feels like, it was not a meatballs. It was just another script. What if, what if man, you're really setting me up for success. It's at a camp. (laughs) So (laughs) do you want to get to madman? Yes. All right. Lore of the campfire telling of his horror lost in the woods with the madman and the stars. Don't this movie i still don't like this movie but watching it with you is delightful so i have it memorized you learned um I it's think crazy i it was a couple months ago i think i started singing the theme song to you and i sang the entire thing and you're like you just sing the whole so i'm like yep yeah i got wood dude yep and um so i have a personal connection with madman and like i was uh i think it was like 2008 and going through a pretty rough point in my life. And I was like, basically my anxiety was super high. Just been medicated for the first time. I'm home for Christmas and I'm like having a really depressive day. I'm like in bed and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. It's fucking Christmas time. Like this sucks. And I had my laptop and it was like, I had Hulu early Hulu. And I was like, it had, they had a bunch of free movies on there. And I was like, what the fuck is Madman? And it was on there and I watch it and it just like, was exactly the movie I needed to like get me out of my funk. Cause I was like, I was like laughing in bed and I was like, this is fucking weird. I already loved slashers and I credit this movie as being one of those, like I just needed something to knock me out of my funk. And this is that kind of movie. Cause it's so fucking weird. It also has a lot of, it doesn't feel lazy. It, it feels like these people were like, 
this ha- it has the energy of a like a Mickey Rooney, uh, Judy Garland. Let's go make a movie. Let's go. Make, we're put on a show. And these were it was a New York troupe of actors who together decided to say, "Let us now run with the success of these camp slashers. Go make our own in New York." And they did. Um, and it has some heart to it. It has a weird vibe. It has a weird kind of like self help subtext um, between characters and, and a, a weird philosophy. But also, like you said, it kind of moves like a nice little slasher movie. Um, and it, it chugs, it man. It chugs, yeah. And I think part of that is because it doesn't... It's 90 minutes, roughly, I would say, or like a little under. But it's like, it doesn't have a first act. It's almost like if Friday the 13th Part 2 started at that awesome campfire scene. Yes. And then it just goes for it. Or it even does, like, I guess an even better one-to-one comparison is it's The Fog. It's literally just yep. they tell the story of this horrible being that lives in the woods and once you know murdered his family. And if you say his name too loud, like above a whisper, basically when you're in the wilderness, he'll come out and kill you. It's Madman Mars. And then it's in a, like an incredibly delightful, cringy, weird sequence. One of the main characters sings around the campfire and not just sings like dances and acts out the song and like tries to creep everyone out. And like, I kept saying to you, it was like, if I was at this campfire, I would be like, yo man, I need you to like chill. And like, you can still sing, but the pelvic thrusting and all that, I need you to calm down. He's like your most annoying, annoying improv friend. It's like having Anne Hathaway in like a Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> well, so don't just say main character. Let's call him like he is. It's TP, <laughs> played by the great Tony Fish, rest in peace. And from my understanding, he was one of the main instigators of this movie. Like he was like high up in the kind of organization of this theater troupe, was really pushing for it to get made. Um, with Joe Giannone and Gary Sales, um, the other creators. I think he was one of the producers as well. So it was like he was really kind of behind getting this movie done. So he's all over it. His energy is all over this movie. And I think he's one of the things that makes it so weird because like you said, you have him do this song and it's, so it's he's singing almost like a, a, a precursor to the, the legend of Madman Mars, which is then... Uh, told in great kind of storybook fashion by, by Max, who's the uh, head of the camp, a very strange man. And he looks like Burt Cooper from Mad Men. Yes. Um, like very much so. And you get a lot more with TP because he has this whole arc of not wanting to let go. Like he's obsessed with uh, Galen Ross's character. I'm obsessed. Like they're kind of a couple, a camp couple. And he, you know, is this trying to get laid She's like, I, you know, don't know what I know what I want. I'm never going to see you again after we leave here. He like, they fight in front of the fire. Then they make up and they have, have this really, really long hot tub scene. You know, it's like, it's amazing. And it's him. I think it's him singing again. He's like, if you want to know why is this, why is that? That's okay too. It's like some yacht rock weird shit that they then like fuck in the hot tub too. And then the camera spins around them like crazy. It's I not s- even fucking. They literally just circle each other for yeah. five minutes. And uh, God, I remember seeing this the last time before we just watched uh, the vinegar syndrome 4k disc is that the last time I had seen it before that was downtown 
at the Ritz, I believe, Probably, on yeah. 35 millimeter during like they programmed like a, a summer camp series or something as part of Terror Tuesday and played or maybe it was a different either way. That's where I saw it last. And like I remember the audience during this scene being like, what the fuck? fuck is going on in this and i'd seen it before that but for whatever reason i had blanked out the hot tub scene during that viewing and what was happening i think i achieved spiritual nirvana because it's just so bizarre and to your point like this is when the idiosyncrasies of the movie like really shine through is you're like oh you guys are trying to do something i don't know what it is but it's a thing well again it feels like a theater group, right. you know, it, and the kind of thing they probably wrote, maybe they wrote their own plays. Who fucking knows? There's a whole sequence too of four of the other main characters all sitting in front of the fire, like all against each other, lying down with their heads against each other. And they're saying like really philosophical shit. Like, it's like I love hearing the wood crackle and it, the, the uh, fire uh, devour the wood. And one guy's like, who says there's no beauty and destruction? And his girlfriend's like, I don't think there's any beauty in destruction for any reason. And this other fucker gets up, opens a pocket knife and begins to monologue to them about like, how can you know my true intentions? You can't see inside my mind. I'm like what is happening in this movie? Well, it, it sort of feels like they got this theater group and you know how, again, we, we kind of said it during the last segment and we've said it many times about slasher movies is that some of our favorite parts of these are ag the actual like hangout moments, but it's almost like asking you to hang out with a bunch of theater kids. Yep. But that's the filler. They were like, look, somebody gave us some money. We have this equipment and like, we again have to deliver a thing. We have to de deliver dead bodies in the end. But the sinew can be our weird, like, creative, actorly, like, performance whims. And, man, it, it really creates some strange connective tissue. Well, because in part of his too is this has got to be the most unattractive group of fucking people. I think it's, I mean, out of all the slashers I've seen... It's the ugliest. They're not I, even allowed to do Shakespeare in the park. They got to do it in the sewer, man. They look they, like chuds. They got a bunch of faces for radio, you know? <laughs> and I mean, they, well, they have, we were joking. They kind of look like, like the offspring of like the monsters from the shadows of our Innsmouth, yeah. you know, of just these fish people. And they all, all look like Kelsey Grammer's nephews. <laughs> they're all like really fucking weird looking. And, and, it's not even like you said, it has a PG feel besides the violence. Like it's the least sexy movie. Like the sex scene again, they circle each other. Another sex scene is very much like very cutesy, like no more doubts, no more doubts. And you see a titty, but it's almost unintentional. It's not like the usual slasher movie where like a dude's literally putting a camera in a shower so that you can see boobs. It's like Galen Ross gets in and you just get like a flash of nipple and then you get more man ass than anything else. You, you see a whole lot of TP. Yeah. In you see movie. his hole, dude. <laughs> you see some buttholes in the burning. We didn't talk about like when they moon, Glazer, you see Fisher Stevens full on yeah, dirty asshole, unbleached just, asshole. Yeah, exactly. It's really dark. Yeah, he's got some tan in there. TP's is cavernous though. I'm just saying that 4K is not doing his butthole any favors. Well, and speaking of 4K, this is a beautiful. We were we were joking. This is a vinegar syndrome 4K, and 
what a weird movie to look so great on my TV. I mean, the colors, are, they did HDR in this shit. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's Madman. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yo, you know who 4K <laughs> throws under the bus, though, is Galen Ross. Her teeth are so yellow. All like, of them, though. Yeah. MTP, too. They, they all look real bad. That's the thing about 4K, especially on these lower budget productions, is that you're really appreciative that, like, a company like vinegar syndrome is going to put the the effort the elbow grease into restoring these types of movies to that degree like actually finding the original negatives scanning them in 4k and like cleaning them up as you even notice like adding like hdr and, and uh, color correction and really really just bringing you a film that looks totally different like this movie looks 100% different on this 4K disc than when I remember seeing it on 35mm even. I, it's yep. just crazy. But at the respect. same I mean, time... Respect. Honestly, respect given. Yeah. But at the same time, like, they didn't have a whole lot of makeup and they weren't doing a whole lot of... Like, this movie has, like, an incredibly cozy wardrobe, so I'll give it that much. But, like, all the makeup and, like, teeth and everything is that, like... Nobody intended for those folks to be cleaned up and displayed in 4K. We'll put it that way. Nope, it was not. They are the almost like matte paintings of classic 80s movies that you put on 4K and you can see the line. It's like watching Aliens. Yeah. Or, like, or not 4K, but like 1080. We're like, oh, I can see the line between the matte or, you know, it kind of ruins the movie magic or ruins Galen Ross' teeth. Well, yeah, like even when Madman Mars shows up, is there are times where he looks great, especially a lot of those like moody, backlit, at atmospheric like profile shots where he's holding the axe and like marching towards you and everything. Or like that flashback to when he slaughters his family and stuff like that looks amazing. But then there's other times where like it's just the hand reaching into frame grabbing you know the axe or whatever somebody's head and you go that man's wearing a glove that glove is from Halloween Adventure I've seen it before <laughs> well and speaking of Madman Mars something I don't want to forget and you would you would look this up when we were watching it that I'd forgotten about was he was really supposed to be Cropsy and right. and I think they were going into production and I think they were even going to call it Cropsy I may be wrong about that but Maybe that's the burning. Yeah, I the, think the burning was the original script was Cropsy. This was when the burning was already in production. Yep. They found out and they were like, ah, oh, fuck, we got to change everything now. And I think they were shooting not too far because they were all shot in upstate New York. Right. And so it was kind of like another, you know, this is a smaller film than the burning. Um, but you, again, have that kind of last minute, like, uh, let's just call him Mad Band Mars. You know, there's really not a lot given. Like you said, it just jumps right in. It has the most generic backstory ever of like, he was just a bad dude and killed his family. Well, let's keep going. Yeah. They almost make him like the DeFeo kid from uh, Amityville. Is that mm. he just snaps one day, kills his family, yes. and then does the whole like, he went to the bar and had a drink after that, you know? And had himself a beer. But the the great connective tissue between these two movies in an it inverting like kind of six degree or nine degrees of like Kevin Bacon sort of way is that uh, Tom Savini works on the burning, does all the effects stuff and then acted with Galen Ross, obviously in Dawn of the Dead, but then Galen Ross. And I believe the general vibe of theater kidness we're trying to get at here, like makes me think of the early George Romero movies. Mm -hmm. Like, because like, and not just look, 
like the stuff that was made and that Arrow put in that box set that was called like uh, between between night, night and between dawn. night and dawn. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's like the you know there's always vanilla the crazies. Um, Hungry Wives is the same name. Oh, Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch, yeah. And it's like, uh, it just kind of has this very artsy, almost experimental feel that goes more commercial than even Romero knew how to, like in in those kind of early, like in between Mm -hmm. like art films. But it reminds me of that. You ever see effects? From 1980? No, I never have. But Savini came to town and showed that. And was like doing a, I remember he was doing a bunch of uh, signatures yeah. and stuff. And Agfa put it out yeah. on Blu-ray, too. Um, but it stars like Joe Pilato from Do- uh, Day of the Dead. Um, Tom Savini's in it. John Harrison, who would write the Creepshow theme and even direct Tales from the Dark Side for Richard hmm. Rubenstein. Um, Dusty Nelson, who worked on a bunch of, but it was all this like Pittsburgh mafia of like creative dudes. And then they go out into the woods and they make this super experimental, like horror movie about making horror movies that revolves around a snuff film, but has the same like amped up, like this was made by actors vibe that Madman has because it feels like a bunch of weirdo creative types who just went into the woods with a hundred grand or whatever. And we're like, well, we got to come back with something that we can sell to drive-ins. Well, and it, you know, it brings in that same Raimi energy then too, because he had the energy of like, these are my friends. Yeah. We're going to go make a movie. And that, that gives a lot of charm to a movie. And I think you see that in Madman of like, these people seem to know each other. There's, there's an energy of they've worked together before you watch the burning and these are all young New York actors who want to get noticed. Right. They've all gone. Yeah. A lot of them gone on to you know, significant success. Right. And that feels like they picked the best, hottest people for each role. And this is like a group, which brings a whole different kind of ensemble energy yeah. to the movie. And there's even that one scene where the camera pans down all their heads that they've like lined up against yep. each other while they're lying on the floor. That feels almost like an improv exercise. Like yeah. that we've been dropped in on a bunch of like uh comedians like running through one of those like Dell Tenny style like kind of thought exercises yeah, together. Absolutely. It's super pretentious and arty, but again, it adds like a texture to this movie that it would otherwise kind of lack. The other thing that I was really impressed with this uh, on this rewatch that I hadn't been before is that it delivers on like the slasher side of it. There are a lot of heads that are cut off. He jumps on a car hood and cuts a woman's head off at one point. The end stalk is awesome. Yep. Like Oh, TP's death is great. Yeah. With with the hanging. With it's the really, hanging yeah. is awesome. Like there's a lot of stuff in this that's actually really good slasher material that I might have undervalued somewhat. I still don't love it, but it's like it gives you something strange and familiar at the same time. Well, and you know, and I totally understand that perspective. And for me, it's a personal thing, right? It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it is a comfort movie for me. It still is one of those things where it's like, like final exam, like not the best horror movie, but like, I love putting it on sometimes in the background, you know, and just like hanging out. And it, like you said, that's a very cozy feel. It's like, it feels like an, an autumn movie and they all have sweaters and it's like, it, it takes place in the autumn um, well, it's, it's, it's not like, a summer slasher to bring it back to my stupid jazz comparison. It's like, you can listen to miles Davis and you can listen to 
Thelonious monk, let's say, and go, oh man, I appreciate stuff about both of these. Not really into Thelonious, like, but I get why people get into that. I'm more of a Miles Davis dude. Yeah. Do you want to do oddballs now? Love to. All right. <laughs> very Canadian oddballs. I picked this one because to me it was one of the most obvious choices in terms of like the Canadian meatballs ripoff that was inspired by it. I remember watching this because I was going to program this when we were doing taps and tapes at Vulcan Video and we had it on an old battered VHS tape and I took it home and I watched 20 minutes and I went, nope. This will not fly. I am not going to watch this with an audience because they will walk out. Not necessarily because it's bad, although it is. Um, but more or less because like something that you enjoy and find funny or charming, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to share it with an audience. I know that's sort of ironic to say when we're recording a podcast that we're going to put on like, you know, a whole series of podcasts, but it's like, it, it, it's an interesting movie to use, at least in that moment for me to discern between what can I show people and what can I just kind of enjoy by myself or with just you and me. Yeah, that's like, what I it's, mean. It's really different. You have to have a very specific person that you can be like, oddballs, we're going to watch that together, right? And you we both know where each other stand, like, politically and, and ethically. Because one of those things where I, I worry sometimes, I've, I've shown horror films and comedies to friends, and I sometimes fear that they are going to judge me, even though if I think it's, like, kind of offensive, like, oh, I think people might like this and they'll laugh, but I, fear, I fear showing it to a group they're sure. gonna be like, oh, this guy agrees with what's being said in this movie. And with you and me, like, we know where we stand. And I can be, we can watch oddballs and pick it apart and be like, ugh. But again, back to what we talked about last episode, showing Hot Dog the movie at, at Cinepocalypse in Chicago yeah. to 300 people. It's a different energy in a room where it's like, yeah, we're not condoning what's in this film, but there's that, that really bad energy that can kind of leak out. Well, and especially with that crowd of folks, too, because they will turn on something yep. quite quickly if it doesn't align with their own specific values. Yep. You know, it's kind of, I, I hate bringing this up, especially given my uh, history with the company too, but it's also how I've always felt when recommending like S Craig Zoller movies is that I'm like, look, I really like this, but I don't believe in it. 
Like, I don't think S. Craig Zoller's worldview is good for anyone, but that's kind of why I like it, is that it feels, like, pure and undiluted in terms of how evil and weird it can get. But with oddballs, it's a different thing because you're just kind of like, what I will sit on my couch and, like, zone out to for 85 minutes and smoke some weed and, like, chuckle along, like, that doesn't mean you need to watch that with an audience. Like, you nope. you know, it's probably better by yourself because you get to enjoy, you get to be a little freer in the level of stupidity that you indulge in. And speaking of stupidity, I think we both agree this is a much easier watch than Meatballs 2. And one of my kind of understanding that this goes all the way with it. Like this goes full farce. Like there's kind of a desire in meatballs too, to kind of have their cake and eat it too. Of like, we're going to be a goofy vignette thing, but also like have a plot. This one is just vignettes. Like it really, there's a, there's a little bit of a backbone of plot, but very, very little. Yeah. Um, it's just like joke, 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 joke for an hour for 80, you know, 85 minutes. I knew I was in as soon as drunk grandpa was revealed as the one who inherited the camp because he got it uh, thanks in like an Atlantic City card game. Thanks to Exposition Boy again on the bus leading into camp kind of lays out this whole history of Camp Sasquatch. Great. Camp Sasquatch. Um, Keeping all the different camp names in these movies has been painstaking in its own right. But like. Drunk Grandpa, I texted you that there was part of me that wanted to do this entire segment in character as Drunk Grandpa because he's just a real gem of a human being. Like, we meet him on this dilapidated camp that he's just won in a card game, and, like, the kids are on their way, and the first thing he says is, I hate kids. I hate them. He's He's got guns. He's so drunk. He greets these children with an automatic weapon. Again, not something that would be acceptable in a movie in 2022. But I'll tell you what, when he brings that machine gun out and is talking to that little boy and then starts firing it in the air, I was like, I love you, drunk grandpa. You're the best. I think when I, I kind of, what turned for me when I ended up liking it, as I said, oh my God, like, they don't care how dumb these jokes are. Like, they are aware. Because early on, it's like the first 30 seconds, you have an Indiana Jones reference of like, it's the whole scene of him trying to get on the truck. And he gets, I think they run over the Indiana Jones character. Well, and it's literally animated. It yeah. kind of announces its intentions from, from the go. It goes from that into it, live action. Is that it's like, this is a cartoon. Like, what you're about to watch is on the same intellectual level as the stuff that you watched on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Well, one of the jokes where I was like, oh, I can see what they're doing here is like the the preppy kid. There's, again, there's a, there's a subplot of the rich camp across the place, across the lake, wants to buy out this this camp. Um, a guy has a polo shirt with an alligator, a baby alligator on the shirt. And he's like, grandma's always wanting to dress me. And he's like, that's not the alligator shirt we're talking about. Like, that's the kind of jokes in this movie. I love movie. that joke. And dude. I was like, like, this is kind of funny because it's so stupid. Yeah. And it's also just kind of making fun of the fact of like, you know, Lacoste just means that you have an alligator on the shirt. That's all. It's kind of stupid when you say it out loud, but I'm not going to assign any kind of real intellectual prowess to this movie because there, there is none, frankly, but at the same time, uh, to bring it back to our last episode, little and little darlings is that this is 
the movie that I bet you they promised to the studio when they, they were selling Little Darlings is that it's like, ah, oh, it's a sex farce with little kids. Only here it's with a bunch of like 13, 14 year old boys maybe who are like, we're going to camp and we're going to get laid. And you're like, that's a weird aspiration for a kid your age. But then it gets even fucking weirder because one of their counselors is essentially like a pickup artist type who even has a book and takes these kids, like three of these boys under his wing and shows him how, like shows them all how to manipulate and try to sleep with women. The thing I wrote down watching this was it takes the joke from the beginning of Meatballs 1 of Sexual Awareness Week and actually does it. Yeah. It's like, that. that's a joke because we would never do that. Because This is like, well, what if we did that? And, and, and then it, it gets darker. It's when it, there's moments of maybe drama or cause again, you have what a lot of these films, the, the thing they learn like in American pie is that, okay, you don't want what you think you're after. And so these kids are at this like full on like party bar and they're 12 or 13. Like you said, they finally get some women who want to fuck them. They're like, Oh shit. And they run away. Like there is, that's kind of the punchline is that, Oh, we're too young for this. Yeah. Like we, we talk about it, we joke about it, but like when it actually comes down to a woman saying, I will sleep with you, they run away, which they should. <laughs> and meanwhile, this scumbag is literally showing them how to roofie women. Like it's yep. insane. Um, and it also ties back to, you said like the main plot of the film is there's like a rich developer who wants to demolish the camp and turn it into like a shopping mall or yep. something. Take your pick, who gives a shit? Um, but he wants his possibly gay, definitely retarded son to infiltrate uh, the oddballs camp. Marry, marry the drunk the granddaughter. grandpa's granddaughter who's super hot and one of the other boys, had like one of the three main boys has a crush on too. But it's like the developer is full on like trying to get his fake ass Marjo Gortner looking son to <laughs> Marjo <laughs> like like roofie this girl not and like a whole roofie joke like a whole caveman roofie. style yeah. and be like and she wakes up and she's fucked and married probably pregnant and you're like that's this movie is going over the edge my friend well and it um connecting again to little darlings like there's a whole there's a whole thing where at the end of little darlings where she says to Armand Asante, like I'll be 21 someday. And it's like, it's like I'm, I've learned I'm not there yet, but someday I will be. And this one kind of has the same thing, but it's sent back at the kid where he's has the huge crush on the, the hottest woman at camp. Who's the counselor or the, the granddaughter of the uh, drunk owner and <laughs> drunk grandpa, drunk grandpa says, you know, she's like, you're only 15, but she's like, but next year you'll be a year older. Same exact line. Same, you know, it's the almost like, I, I, and they're both at the end. They're both kind of like, this is what we learned. And it's, you know, drunk grandpa too has an actual moment of, of, of pathos. Like he, the whole time is like, I want to offload this camp. And you, th it's actually kind of a funny twist where you think that he would be like, I want to keep the camp. But the other guy says like, Hey, I'll sell it to you for a hundred thousand. He goes 300,000. All right, cool. He's like, he doesn't fight it. He's I'm like, out. and it's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you? And then he goes in and the kids are all like horribly sad. He's like, you know, this is the end of camp. I'm not going to have it here next year. 
And you actually have a moment of him learning, like, oh, wait, like, there's something special here. And I'm not going to say it actually lands the dramatic moment or makes it touching, but it doesn't. It, it, it's completely out of nowhere. There's and more it, of a hutep, attempt at humanity than Meatballs 2 has at all. Agreed. Well, and, and there is, like, a sweetness to this movie, strangely, that's, that's really nowhere. Meatballs 2 feels very cynical to me. It feels like a cash grab. It feels like... Well, and I wonder if shifting the movie from Canada to New York hardened it in a weird way because mm. it was chasing this sort of, as you pointed out, like Vinnie Barbarino, like hardened post-Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta kind of trend of like, make that guy like the protagonist. Like you wouldn't do that in a Canadian movie probably, but like here... It's bringing it back kind of the softness and sweetness of the Canadian production of the original meatballs. And like oddballs just kind of has that polite Canadian humor of like, we're always going to have a kazoo behind it so that you know when to laugh. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it just feels while it is offensive, it feels uh, not mean spirited at all. Right. Which is the opposite of meatballs too. like meatballs too. Because there is, it, again, it feels like intent behind the whole little kid thing and even having them, like, be mentored by this, like, pickup artist douchebag and whatever. And, like, it's trying to have its cake and eat it, too, to where, like, it's it's getting the lowbrow, like, really shitty laughs, but at the same time maybe exploiting yeah. something smarter to its own advantage. Again... Not going to give this movie a whole lot of credit, but it's certainly better than Meatballs 2. Yeah, and I didn't have to watch it in multiple settings like you did for Meatballs no. 2. Actually, Meatballs 2 for me. I didn't fall asleep once. No, I plowed right through it. Yeah. Well, Martin, this has been great. Nice, compact episode two of our summer camp miniseries. What do we got next week? So next week, um, obviously Meatballs 3. Mm-hmm. Um, summer job. Summer job. We're going to do Cheerleader Camp. Which, which I've never seen either. And... Um, I'm a big fan of, um, and then we're going to do, uh, summer camp girls, which is our first foray on secret handshake into pornography. This is a very horny series we're doing here. So we're going to go all the way and have a really uncomfortable viewing experience together. Uh, directed by former Orson Welles, uh, let's say assistant protege, et cetera, Gary Graver. Really? He shot like Toolbox Murders and worked on a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, I love Toolbox Murders. Like he's he's kind of a weird journeyman that if you don't know anything about the Gary Graver story, study up before Summer Camp Girls because that's mainly what I'm going to be talking about. The fact that this guy could work on and did churn out more than one hardcore movie, shot movies for Al Adamson, and also like worked on The Other Side of the Wind. Like, just such a strange, interesting fellow. Um, and I can't wait to watch, like, some hardcore sex with you. That sounds great. <laughs> it's the next step in our friendship. Well, everyone, you'll have to tune in next week for all of the sticky, uncomfortable nature uh, on Secret Handshake. We'll see you then. All right. If you're gonna ask, why is this, why is that, it's up to you. And if you wanna know just why the flowers grow, that's okay too. 
But if you're gonna ask me why I love you like I do I don't think I can explain Got no words to say it Really rather play it out with you Only know the feelings Chemistry revealing This simple truth Should you feel it too Let your feelings through Love, get a grip on us too Don't need words to know Don't need words to know How I feel about you Don't need words Magician does his magic, thrills you with a slick trick You never know just how he makes it happen Find yourself just clapping and feeling good Should the magic get you high, no need to wonder Let's count all the stars in the sky Don't need words to know How I feel about you